0: He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. No, don't touch the dial, you're not tuned to the gospel station. <laughs> this is not the gospel station, this is just inadvertently gospel. Um, the reason we have this song on is of course that it's Easter. Happy Easter, happy, happy Easter everyone. I'm here with Douglas DePiro, my friend and sidekick. And, and, and I had to play that song. Run some music in the, in the deal. That was very important to me. But the... Uh, The reason we're playing it is that I don't think we understand or think often enough about the impact that Christianity has had on civilization. Uh, We take everything that it has done for granted, but it's worth reviewing them, particularly now, because you know, if the I I don't know what the rules are on Judgment Day in heaven, (laughs) but I don't think war crimes are are allowed. I think that if you commit war crimes, you're pretty well not getting into heaven. You probably don't even go to the gate. You probably go straight down. Yeah, I don't think even purgatory. No purgatory, right? Uh -uh. So, (laughs) but you think about the ways in which Jesus Christ and Moses, Judeo-Christian heritage, changed world civilization. It changed the ground rules. It changed the fundamental concepts. before then, for example, you, uh, you had routine use of torture as a method of ascertaining guilt or innocence in the criminal justice system. And, uh, before then you had punishments for crimes like whipping, public flogging, um, before the, before the Christian values came along and changed it, uh, War crimes were, were normal. People would say, well, what, do you, what do you mean war crimes? That's like saying liquor store robbery crimes, or, you know, committing crimes in the course of robbing a store. Of course you're doing it. It is a crime. And that's how people felt about uh, war. And the idea that there are things in war you're not allowed to do uh, was absurd. Uh, yet it's fundamentally now built not just into our culture but into our jurisprudence. Um uh, the concept that Mike doesn't necess- that Mike doesn't make right, uh, which is at the core of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, was really introduced by Christ and and by the Judeo Christ. I mean Moses Christ and the whole gang. And the the standards which we now take as normal uh, were not normal without Christianity. Um, for example I've done a lot of work in Japan. Uh I've gotten uh, the prime minister the uh, prime minister there get elected not the current one but Khan a while ago. And uh I was talking to some Japanese friends about Pearl Harbor and they stressed that under the ethics and the mores of pre-Christian Japan uh surprise attacks were the norm. Uh you always started a war with a surprise attack. Why, why the hell would you send a note to your opponent saying, I'm going to start bombing you at noon uh, so you can shoot me down? Right. Uh, they said, of course you begin a war with a surprise attack. Why, why must you notify the other side when you're about to attack? And yet in Western civilization, the idea of a surprise attack is really a war crime. When I say Western civilization, I'm – remembering in my mind what Mahatma Gandhi said when they said, what do you think of Western civilization? He said, it would be nice. (laughs) (laughs) The concept. Yeah. To have Western civilization. (laughs) That would be really cool. (laughs) But, but the whole, it, it is very hard to really, to realize the way the tectonic plate shifted dramatically as a result of Christianity. And then, we wonder why Christianity spread and why Judaism spread? There were millions of religions kicking around there. Uh, why did these two religions survive? Well, with Judaism, we have the fact that it was that it was written down that none of the other religions had texts about their religion, whereas the Jews did, and the writings survived um Christianity the writings were uh were not really contemporaneous with Christ they were about 50 to 100 years after his death um John being the most the latest one and Mark uh, and, and Luke being earlier hmm. but the important point here is that Islam spread by war uh Muhammad and his children conquered half of the world and Came came damn close to conquering Europe, and uh, that spread Islam, um, Buddhism, and other Eastern religions were spread largely just by consciousness and philosophy, and uh, there they were written, but they also were in some cases more recent. But Christ had no no Bible back then. Uh, no commandments, no army, certainly. No nationality behind him. Uh, he just was by himself. Amazing. A, a, a voice in the wilderness, as John the Baptist was said to have been. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, and yet it spread throughout the world. And in about 300 A.D., when the Emperor Constantine mm-hmm. converted to Christ, uh, it basically conquered the Roman Empire and conquered the world with a doctrine that was dramatically different from the Roman Empire, one that focused on love and forgiveness and charity as opposed to force brutality and military strength. And uh, it was that change ultimately that that has changed the world so dramatically. All you need to do is just look at what Vladimir Putin is, is trying to get away with. And we're shocked because the world has moved so much beyond that. But he's trying to do stuff that's a complete throwback to the pre-Judeo-Christian heritage, and uh, it stands out like like a sore thumb. It, it rankles with us because it is so contrary mm. to our normal value system. And that value system came about because of Christ. And why did Christ spread? Why did the story of the resurrection that we celebrate today catch on? Why was that something that was repeated all over the place? And Eventually, foundation was the foundation of religion with no army, no ethnicity, nothing written down, no gospels. The gospels were later. Why? God was his own. Yeah, there's only one answer to that, the will of God. Unbelievable. Uh, Just, I, I mean, not even, it's not even an act of faith. It's an act of logical omission of every other possible cause. Okay, well... Now you can change back to seventy-seven WABC, but that's so amazing! That's but so amazing! You told me this the other day. In the we finished there. the gospel section. <laughs> it was great, so great. Okay. Now um, there was a sinking um, this week, uh, and uh, the frigate, the the battle frigate Moskova, the 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 crown jewel, they're saying of the Black Sea Fleet of the Russian Navy, and the, the Black Sea is the only port they have. That's a warm-weather port. Everything else is frozen half of the year. And sinking that ship is unbelievable. Somewhere <laughs> beyond the sea Somewhere waiting for me My lover stands on golden sand Well, will have this diversity. We've gone gone from quoting Jesus to quoting Bobby Downey. <laughs> I bet he was a good Christian. Actually, you know, Bobby Darin. Was, he was cool, Bobby Darin. Well, a better song for him would have been Splush Splash. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> he was, <laughs> you know, I like ba- Bobby Darin because he just had, he was had a cool groove, you know. He yeah. snapped his fingers. Yep. He died young. The good do. Mm. Um, but the, the, the story of the sinking is really huge. First of all, it was done with a missile developed by Ukraine with technical assistance from the U.S. and Israel. Great. But um, but they built the missile. I mean, they they had that technology, and the technology to knock out a ship of that size. The only other time that I think that's happened uh, is in the uh, Argentine invasion of the Falkland Islands. Did you say it was a frigate? It was a frigate? That, that no, ship? I'm just using that as a, as a generic term. Oh. Battle cruiser is oh. probably its, oh, okay. its actual uh-huh. designation. That's yeah, bigger. But... Um, it, it basically the Russians were using the uh, the the ship not for maritime operations. They were using it as a platform for artillery to bombard Odessa and Mariupol and the mm. other targets that they have. And it, it's kind of like we talk about air supremacy. Well, part of that is naval supremacy on coastline areas because they 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 can pack huge punches on their on their. Uh, Their ships with the cannon that's available to them, and the fact that Ukraine was able to knock it out is just totally unbelievable. It's great, so great by itself. Hear. It's it's absolutely amazing. Great. Um, so the war is not going well for Russia, Good and for him. we'll discuss that a little more on the other side of the break. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on seventy-seven WABC get down clowns to the left of me jokers to the right here i am stuck in the middle with you You're that song so just gets me all the time it's so <laughs> true what's it clowns to the left of me when well, we know who they are and there are plenty of jokers to the right too and i am i'm your right-hand of, man right yeah right <laughs> I'm one of your jokers and i am kind of stuck in the middle with you but enjoying <laughs> it very much um Lately, there's been extensive coverage of how long can Russia hold out. Used to be how long Ukraine could hold out, but yeah, right. now that Western aid is pouring into Ukraine, and it's clear that the Ukrainian people are fighting back incredibly hard. So great, not just the military, but the people and civilians. And um, what are we hearing about that? The people. Well, what are the, they doing? The issue now is uh, what about Russia replacing its material losses? in Ukraine we've always assumed they have a vast industry and that they can just push a button and spits out tanks and planes and it's easy but the economic sanctions that are receiving far less publicity than they should have been tremendously effective in stopping Russia from producing new tanks and in cutting off their flow of oil Um, take those one at a time. The supply you know how hard it is to buy a used car now in the oh, U. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, a used tank, isn't it easier? <laughs> not <laughs> like they're all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Even a uh even an unused tank. Even not even not a previously owned tank. <laughs> Actually all the previously owned tanks, to put a polite spin on it, are um have been first used by the Russians and then the Ukrainians captured them. And they're sending them to factories and the Czech Republic and Slovakia and Poland to repair the damages uh, and uh, send it back out in the field. But the Ukraine, the Ukrainians are beautiful. But the Russia's production of tanks is way down uh, to a point where they have basically stopped building new tanks uh, because they can't. The supply side isn't there. Wow. The um, the the difficulty in getting raw materials and uh, you'd think this was a limitless flow, but it's not. What? do you kill me? I <laughs> kill me a buttercup, baby. Buttercup. I let me down. I I let me go round and it works. Putin is not as forgiving on his factory managers. I don't think he says, but I love you still. But um, it is incredible that that Russia has simply lost the capacity to build tanks. That's amazing. And then, which makes it worse for them, better for us, is that they also are losing their export of oil. Uh, Their big cash crop, if you will, is oil. Their whole economy is based on it. But Russian oil production is down by about twenty or twenty-five percent. The reasons are varied, but the main one is the sanctions. The because products, con- the production is down, 25? Yeah, well, export, export, right. because uh, the banks are no longer financing the the Russian oil exports, uh, and they're, they're not allowed to under the sanctions. And and the issue is, will you what will you pay for the oil with? If you want to pay for it with dollars, well, that's fine. But where do you get the dollars with the banking system cutting you off? And how do you transport it? Mainly tankers. Uh, but the tankers can't get insurance uh, because they they should call Liberty Mutual, I guess. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, progressive. Yeah. 15 minutes. Yeah, right. Um but the uh, the result is that at the very moment that the Russians most need the cash, they can't uh, produce uh, – they can't generate the oil to export. And the effect of the U.S. sanctions has been to dry up the flow of Russian exports to Europe, um, which is really reducing the leverage that the Russians have each day over Ukraine, over over the Western allies and NATO in the war in Ukraine. So um, it's really interesting to see how these sanctions are working. So give me a call at 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC, 9222 thats 800 848 wabc 92 Did you memorize that? You had that in your head? Yeah, well, I can't find it anywhere. (laughs) That was pretty good. yeah um the uh so so these sanctions are are stopping russia from using its two huge advantages it's it's monopoly virtually of energy supplies in europe and it's huge industrial complex that lies behind its military forces and it's just like they don't exist good it's a two-punch yeah it really is good it's uh it's an incredible thing that's going on uh and it shows the potency of sanctions. That's interesting because this is the first time that sanctions have really, really worked against the world power. Um, when Italy invaded Ethiopia, the League of Nations tried to, to impose sanctions, but they were porous and they were basically very narrowly tailored and mostly, most people didn't follow them. And then obviously they the world would have wanted to sanction Hitler – but uh it never even really tried that because the german economy was so resilient and so ultimately able to f- defend against the sanctions so uh this is the first time that sanctions have really really worked on a large scale they did work in the bosnian war um and uh, and they were a very important and very effective tool for us diplomacy but uh the fact that sanctions are working so well now is really a tremendous world development in the cause of peace. Uh, and also the idea of sanctions according to Magnetsky Law. That's the law named in Congress after the, guys, the guy who was tortured and killed in a prison, uh, in Moscow. And, uh, the, the guy who, um, who, who was his lawyer inst- instituted an effort. To try to pass a law permitting sanctions to be invoked against individuals, not just countries or parties, but individuals who, who behave badly. And, uh, it's, that's terrific. And we're really seeing now an example of how effective these can be. Now, while this is happening, we have sanctions as well going on within the U.S., led by, uh, Elon Musk uh Elon, pronouncing it right. Elon, yeah. Elon yes. Musk. uh uh-huh. And who is waging a valiant battle to take over uh Twitter and stop the at least censorship that goes on with Twitter. Uh and uh it's it's very important. And Musk is really in effect saying to the rest of the world to to the big tech companies that uh I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you from exercising this enormous power over the world. Competition's paying the price. I'm gonna knock you, out. Uh-huh. Mama said, knock you out. I'm gonna knock you out. Mama said, knock you out. I'm gonna knock you out. Said, knock you out. I'm gonna knock you out. Said, knock you out. I'm gonna knock you out. I'm gonna knock him out. Right, and and he really might. Uh, I think that ultimately. This is a race between the shareholders' greed and Musk's money. And my bet is on Musk's money. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And uh, he obviously will be able to recoup everything he's putting into this uh, and, in fact, profit from it further like any good capitalist would. But So like $43 billion would it yes, be? That's right. That's right. And the poison pill strategy is to – basically raise that price by another six or seven billion in the hope that Musk can't pay it. But I don't think I, I don't think that's a good strategy. I don't think that's going to work because he can pay it. It's a guy worth like 200 billion. I, think, I don't know. Or but, um, but he is single-handedly saving freedom in the world. Um, it's unbelievable that he's able to do this. Um, and it's the first time. And, and really, I think it's marks a paradigm shift here in what super rich people think of politics Um, until now, they've always been uh, leftist and they've biased the high tech institutions for leftist causes. They abhorred Trump and they basically elected Biden. The polling on the 2020 election is clear that if voters had known then what they know now about the uh, nefarious activities of the, Vote counting and uh, and of uh, Hunter Biden's laptop being being sequestered, so the world doesn't know about it. If they knew then what if they knew then what they know now, seventeen percent of the people who voted for Biden in twenty twenty say they would have voted for Trump instead. And how about the vaccine that uh, a week they held on to the? Yeah, yes, that's right. Where uh, Pfizer could have re- announced the. Vaccines results and that they were, they had a vaccine that was effective and would be publicly available shortly. They sat on that information for two weeks until after election day, uh, to defeat Trump. Um, and clearly had that come out, it would have been an October surprise that would have elected Trump. Although with the cheating and stealing that went on, God knows how much you'd have to win by to be able to actually win. But, um, Elon Musk understands this as being a threat to democracy, a threat not just to free speech, but to political communication. The thing to realize here is that every political revolution, every serious change in politics in the twentieth century, has been in the nineteenth really, has been presaged by a communications breakthrough, a new form of communications that swept all before it and injected new political power. Uh, the, one of the earliest example of that is Tom Paine. Thomas Paine in his pamphlets, Common Sense, and uh, and, and his his uh, pamphlets about the sun, sun, sunshine soldier and the warm-weather patriot uh, will leave now, but the true people will fight for freedom, will continue. And those pamphlets were so important that George Washington had them distributed to every soldier in his army. And they really constituted a rallying cry for his troops. But the idea of a pamphlet defending a war and articulating your point of view in the war was new. And when George Washington tried it, it was tremendously effective. The next time you see something like that is Abraham Lincoln uh, in the Civil War. He would give speeches like the Gettysburg Address and even, almost as importantly, write letters to newspapers or publish letters that he'd written to people that explained why he was fighting, why the war was going on, why the war was going badly, and how there was a chance to make it right. And those letters, which he published, wrote always with a view toward publication, really constituted a new form of political communication. The next important departure was in uh, during Woodrow Wilson's administration, where he basically articulated the goal of a World Organization to end wars, he called World War One a war to end war, and he did that by going by first addressing Congress in person rather than just mailing the State of the Union, in which they had been doing since Washington's time. And then he went around the country giving speeches. Ultimately, died of a stroke. Uh, While he was giving a speech, or he got the stroke while he was giving a speech, but he exhausted himself doing that. And this, while he failed, uh, this form of communication, a president not just sitting on his front porch campaigning but barnstorming around the country to rally public support was a new form of communication. Then the New Deal and FDR's power came from his fireside chats, which were 17 addresses that he gave during his 12-year presidency. And uh, those speeches, those radio addresses, used radio as a political mechanism for the first time. Then you have the Eisenhower administration and the policy departures of that. And, uh, and, and in that administration, the whole focus of television advertising was invented. And it became a tremendously potent tool for politicians advertising time that was purchased. In fact, the birth of the conservative Republican Party has a lot to do with that because as Goldwater was floundering in 1964, uh, Ronald Reagan, a governor, I don't think he was governor yet, about to be governor of California, gave a national radio address where they bought the time. And it was the first instance of political communication really influencing policy. All of this is a long build up to the fact that Twitter is simply a new form mm. of political communication and the media hates it uh, because because it bypasses them. Right. It doesn't have to go through the gatekeepers. And, and Trump knew and people get to read the comments without it being filtered. Now it's totally ridiculous that a president of the United States needs that when he has access to TV addresses to the country. But Trump did not just think up thoughts every six weeks and give a speech. He had them every day. And he shaped the political dialogue beautifully through Twitter. And, yeah, there are times that he went a little nuts and there are times when he said stuff maybe he shouldn't have said. But the idea of keeping in touch with people by Twitter um, is its own form of communication. Elon Musk understands how vital this is Prioritygoldguide.com. That's Prioritygoldguide.com. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Let's go to John in Staten Island, who has a pretty good question. Hello, Dick. Uh, Question for you. You know, when they did the uh, COVID relief, they handed out five trillion dollars. So when they printed all that money up, can someone please explain to me that how they put that much money out and it's not spent to cause inflation instead of printing up maybe a trillion and then wait for the next year to add out more? Because in New York, we had 60 billion dollars for Sandy, which was about 12 years ago. And we're still spending the money. Yep. So all all the Democrat friends have fifty million, a hundred million, a billion in the bank for the next ten years, like the teachers' education fund. They have that much safe to the side. They're uh, killing the middle yep. class and the poor people yep. by inflation. That, that's a very good question. It really is. It shows a, a depth of understanding on your part of how the money was spent. Um, but I would make this point first of all. Let me just tighten up the math a little bit in the in the uh eight years the four years of the trump presidency and the last four years of the obama presidency in that eight-year period the u.s government printed six trillion dollars in the year 2021 the u.s government printed six trillion dollars oh my god so in one year we equaled what was in fact the very high and Huge spending of Obama and, uh, Trump. And bear in mind the Obama spending was largely to stabilize the economy in the face of the, uh, subprime crisis and recover from it and shield the public from damage. And, uh, Trump had the vote, the virus to deal with. So after the virus was over, after the banking system was stabilized, we then spent another six trillion allegedly on COVID relief. In fact, what it basically was, was an incipient design of the Democratic Party to create a brand new welfare state. You see how hard it is to get rid of entitlements. Well, the big move here was to give everybody $1,000 and then 2000 and finally 3600 per child without any income check. You could be a billionaire and get the money. And... um the result of that massive infusion of spending was inflation i don't think anybody has correlated in the way you did john uh the, the the effect of this covid relief was inflation the money we're talking about that went into the economy and stimulated demand to such levels that it that it destabilized the economy and led to this intractable incurable inflation that we've only just begun to see the effects of uh, is because allegedly of a response to COVID, but in fact, just a desire now that they had both houses of Congress and they had the White House to spend enough money and give away enough goodies to solidify their place in power and hopefully to build in entitlements that would last forever. And that was the real motive of that. And it was, it may well have been effective in the short term, but. The long term legacy legacy of it is unbelievable. Horrible. And we've only seen half of it. We've seen less than half of it. We're only seeing now the full extent of the inflation. Now they're saying it's eight point five. When they get up to eleven or twelve percent, you have my attention and we we yeah. say, Okay, that was the inflation. But that's just the first shoe. The other shoe that drops is the recession. Because the only way to cure that inflation is to have a recession. Uh, the only way to do that is to slow up the economy to a point where the patient damn near dies. And before he dies, it, the inflation goes away. Uh, we're going to drain drain him of blood until he doesn't have any ble- his blood pressure was too completely. high. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and will cure his high blood pressure. Right, right. By, by bleeding him to death. <laughs> God. And, and that, that really is the... Metaphor. The, yeah, and the economic textbooks have no better answer than that. So the effect of this COVID spending, uh, and the spending done allegedly in the name of COVID, but in fact to invent new wrinkles on the welfare state, has been this enormous intractable inflation followed by an unsolvable recession that's going to last for years and years and years. Um, now, there's a major change going on in the way the administration is being covered in the media. And Joe Biden has gone from having a litany, a retinue of people who followed him, made excuses for him, covered up for him in the media and did everything they could to hurt, help him and to hurt Trump. What they do, they smile in your face. All the time they want to take your place, the backstabbers. Backstabbers, they smile it in your face. All the time they want to take your place, the backstabbers. Backstabbers, all you fellas who have someone and you really care, yeah. So in the middle of the... Presidential, at the very end of the presidential campaign of 2020, when the details of Hunter Biden's uh, corruption and Joe Biden's participation in it were revealed through this laptop that he left in the repair shop in Atlanta Idiot. and half the intelligence community came out to say that this was Russian disinformation. Oh, sure. Now, after two years of pretending that the obvious didn't exist, they now are lamely announcing in the New York Times and the Washington Post that, that oh yeah, there was this laptop. Oh, by and, the way. Oh yeah, it did have all this oh, info sure. in it. Uh-huh. But they still won't tell you that they, they still won't tell you about Joe Biden's participation right, in it. The big guy. It's just Hunter. Yeah, big the guy. big guy has remained anonymous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, okay. It's, it's outrageous that that's true. As a political analyst, the thing that interests me is that all of a sudden the media is covering this stuff, not covering up, covering. Mm. And I think that that indicates a real shift in the Democratic Party line. And you can tell it because when while Biden is trying to sell the idea that inflation is the result of the invasion of Ukraine, the media is saying now, no, it's not. It predated this. The inflation started well before the tanks started to roll in Ukraine or even before there was a real threat of war that anybody was conscious of. It all predates that. And I think that is just the kind of thing that they would never say when they were defending Biden. So to understand what the media is doing, you need to see where the footprints are leading. And I think that they're leading to a basic abandonment of Biden. And that wouldn't be possible if it were not authorized by the Democratic Party leadership because they, they're they the guys at the other end of the puppet string. <laughs> and I think that very likely what this is about is that they're going to start saying after the midterm elections, after they get trounced and slaughtered and clobbered and whatever other verb you want to can't use in wait. the elections. Just can't wait. The uh, – I think the Democratic Party line will be, well, to stop Trump, we may have elected somebody that maybe we shouldn't have, and maybe he wasn't up to this job. <laughs> oh, and uh, a lot of the damage that was inflicted here is because of him. The Democratic Party is not to blame, nor are people in Congress. Yeah. Uh, they always wanted to do the right thing, but they couldn't because their hands were tied uh, by the administration. And now thankfully Biden has announced he's not going to run again and uh, we can start with a clean slate and uh you can vote for us now without uh, and we can escape blame for everything that's happened in the last two years, uh because it wasn't our fault. Or or, or I fell down, hit his head, oh yes. Joe. Right in the coma. And um <laughs> not in the coma, but yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Actually when you talk What happened? Of, he fell. When I you don't talk know. of Biden being in a coma which is not. Um, I'm reminded of what happened when they told a talking coma when they told Will Rod, Will Rogers that the comedian that um, that uh, Calvin Coolidge had died, and he was famous for saying almost nothing, very very never never really spoke. And Rogers said, "He's dead. How can they tell?" <laughs> <laughs> right, a coma. <laughs> yeah, how could you tell if Biden's in a coma? <laughs> but but oh my I, think, I think that there may be a pattern going on here where they're doing everything that they can to to uh discredit their own president because the alternative is the party and the uh Congress taking the blame. And I think that may be what they're doing. Let's go to Rich and Freehold. Hey Rich. Hi, uh, sure. How are you? Good, I'm doing great. Yeah. Great, great. So here, here was my question. You were talking about sanctions and, uh, now I'm wondering why sanctions always seem to be so reactionary. And with NATO and with, uh, with, with, with all these think tanks that are available, um, why aren't these, their predictive models? If this happens, then these will be the sanctions so that we don't seem reactionary so much. But, but on the other side, it's, pre- it, it prepares Industry <clears throat> for say here in here in the United States, yeah, When they say if this happens. You this will happen, so they can start preparing to counter the effects of well, the sanctions. Yeah, like- yeah, but hold hold your horses on that. Um, sanctions are a very drastic tool, and if we start running the world economy based either on sanctions or things that might possibly be sanctioned, you're going to dry up all investment, all commerce. Who's going to lend anybody money when they could be sanctioned the next the day? Confidence. Yeah, confidence, exactly. Uh, it's it's like saying, uh, I'll specify where we'll drop the bomb. Um, this is a, a very serious weapon, mm-hmm. sanctions. And uh, thank goodness it's reactionary in the sense that we're reacting to what somebody else is doing. It's meant as a punishment. And just like we don't do preventative detention in the United States, this guy's likely to commit murder, so we'll send him to jail for life. Um, we shouldn't be doing this with sanctions. But thanks for your call, uh, Myra in Jackson, New Jersey. Hi, Myra. Hi. I wanted to tell you that I love your show, and I look forward to it every Sunday. Oh, great! And I'm learning so much from you. I think it's you're just terrific. That's Thank all you. I wanted to say. Oh, bless you! Aww. And my school's open even during the COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Thank um, you, Myra. Well, thank you, myra. I appreciate that. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. One of the stories you're going to be reading more and more about is the you, the, the cooperation. The collaboration, I would even go so far as to say, between Fox News and Vladimir Putin. Uh, the, the idea itself is so shocking, but mm. true. Um, the Washington Times, which I read closely, uh, which is a conservative newspaper, very much unique in the country. And it ran a – I'm sorry, excuse me, I'm wrong. It's the New York Times that ran a story on Friday that quoted Russia television, the, the Russia television that's available in the U.S., but also the Russian language television by the state media organizations in Moscow. <clears throat> and they, were, they t- cataloged how often they quoted Tucker Carlson and Fox News in general uh, about the war and found that there were over a 1,000 mentions a month of Fox News in their coverage, where they essentially were covering Fox News' coverage of the war, including myths, disinformation, fantasies, malicious fantasies that were made up by Putin and echoed by Fox News in general and Tucker Carlson in particular. They include the idea that the war was started because of NATO expansion, and that uh, the threat that Ukraine would join NATO uh, triggered the invasion. That's a lie. Uh, Ukraine uh, was not on the verge of being admitted to NATO, and basically the consensus in NATO was <clears throat> not to do it because it would be indefensible. You can't commit to fighting on the Russian border uh, when you're five 5,000 miles away. And uh, the, the feeling was that NATO membership just is... A bridge too far for Ukraine. Um, the, but more, more recently and even more maliciously, uh, Tucker Carlson and, and Fox News implied that the bombing of the train station, bombing the refugee trains was an act of false flag actually perpetrated by the Ukrainian military because they wanted these folks to have to stay in Ukraine so they can be compressed into service. Wow. The I, I did another fiction that was peddled here is that the bombing of the maternity hospital in Kiev was uh, was a, was a fabrication. That sickens uh, me. Done by the Ukraine to build up sympathy and in the world that included the photos of of civilians with their hands tied behind their back and a bullet hole in the back of their head, clearly a suicide. <laughs> <laughs> horrible. And, uh, so horrible, and the, that uh, that myth was peddled, uh, Russian disinformation, and echoed on Fox. That doesn't mean that Fox said that's true, but it does mean that they said this is being reported and could be true and sowing doubts. And then the major one. And then the major one was when. Fox reported that there were bioweapons labs in Ukraine with live viruses uh, and research going on in Ukraine paid for by the U.S. The truth is that the research that was going on with live viruses was to develop antibodies and antidotes in the event that Russia did launch an attack like that in Ukraine and it was to defend against a possible attack that we were doing the experiments to develop antibodies and serums that could be administered to block the effect of the bioweapons. Um, and this, this level of collaboration uh, between a prominent Western American media presence and a foreign power essentially at war with the United States – that Russia says, Putin says, our real enemy here is the United States, not Ukraine, and that we're attacking Ukraine as a means of stopping the United States from its aggression, as he phrases it, in Eastern Europe. So when you look at Tucker Carlson, you are not really looking at an advocate for America now on this issue. You're talking about somebody who, for whatever reason, I don't know, uh, and you won't know till you have subpoena power, but um, he has really sold America out. You can. Let's go to John in Brooklyn. Hi, John. Dick, good talking to you. And and uh, just want to let audience, you, the audience know it was really an honor and pleasure organizing that high school alumni event for you many years ago. Oh at wow, Charleston. that's great. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I just want to let you know, unfortunately, one of your colleagues on the station, Frank Marano, has believed in all of Tucker Carlson's lies, and is the only guest he's hosted on this program. Are what Another listener to the program has described Forgive a, me for a minute. who Who is Frank Morano? He hosts the midnight program on what? On, on weeknights. Monday That's why we don't know him. Th- on what? Monday to Friday nights. On news or, mornings from one to five a.m. Right, right, and, and, on, and on WABC. Right. Okay, well, I don't want to criticize a fellow WABC, or but if I were to uh, choose an outlet to talk about. Uh, what the Russian version is of what's happening in Ukraine, maybe a show that might talk about uh, galactic galactic invasions of the United States might be a good place to go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I I do not know Frank, and and I do not know his stuff. Um, It just saddens me that people are believing Tucker Carlson on this stuff. It absolutely is wrong. But Edward from Greenwich Village disagrees, so let's hear from you, Edward. Dick, I've been reading you uh, for 20 years. I I listen to your show all the time. I think you're a brilliant man. But uh, I can't disagree with you more. I also like Tucker Carlson. I think Tucker Carlson is not trying to advocate a position. He's discussing different things that people can make their own minds up about. And I, I, I think of you and him very similarly because I think you do the same thing every Sunday on your show that I listen to, you bring up points that other people do not, um, that are outside of the mainstream discussion, and then you let other people, educated people, think about it and discuss it and figure out what they believe. That's what I want to do, and that's what Carlson says he's doing. But come on, let's have a discussion. I'll let you make up your own decision. Um, Vladimir Putin says there are numerous... Bioweapons plants in Ukraine and under questioning from in a, in a committee, Victoria Newland from the administration confirmed their existence. Uh, I'll let you decide if that's a good idea to put in a war zone. I'll let you decide if there's, a, if there's any offensive intent in that. I'm going to let you decide if this is bio warfare being practiced by the United States. And I won't put any guest on to describe what's really happening, which is we're developing an antidote in the event that the Russians do use it in the Ukraine. And the, when you speculate about something and you say it'll be your decision uh, or you throw in pro forma lines about how Putin's not a nice guy, don't be had by that. Uh, it's a it's propaganda with a very specific effect. But thank you for the good things you said, Edward. I appreciate it. Uh, let's go to uh, Gabe in Ohio. Yeah. Okay. I'm talking about the, about Putin being a nationalist, number one. And number two, bioweapons being a dual-use type of um, – the research can be used for military and for civilian purposes. Uh, wouldn't I'm, you think I- that – I'm going to cut you off because I just have a little time, and I want to answer your, your question. What I think is your question: the, um yeah, the there is no, there is not really a civilian use for this technology. What there is is a defensive military use. You, to develop the vaccine, you need to, to first have the virus and experiment with it and figure out what works. And in that sense, it's a military use, but it's really not. Um, but go ahead, Gabe. Is there something else you're asking? Gabe? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, but it is
0: due use. It is due use. Uh, due it, use in the it, sense that it can be offensive or defensive. You can either be committing a war crime or stopping one. But uh, but still, it's it's not due use in the normal sense of the word. Um, Gail in Portland Manor. Hi, Gail. Hi, it's an honor to talk with you. Thank you. I just have a suggestion. Oh, happy Easter, happy Passover. I just had a suggestion. Being that you, as well as Tucker Carlson, are no spin kind of people, I suggest you have Tucker Carlson on your show. I don't listen to his program, but when you were talking about him just now, it makes me wonder. Because if Tucker were listening to you, I'm sure... He would disagree with what you said, yeah. so I, perhaps next week you can we'll, have him on your program. Sh- sure, he will, and sure he wouldn't. I'd be happy to do that, but um, and he obviously is listening. So if you get the silence from him, you'll 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 assume that 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 might be that he's not likely to come on and debate me. But if he ever wants to, I'd be happy to do that. That would be great. Yeah, that would be great. Um, and uh, let's go to Victor in Brooklyn. Uh, Happy Passover and happy uh, Easter. Yes, thank you. Mr. Morris. Uh, I just have two minutes left. I have a question about Ukraine and where you get your uh, news about it. For fact, my wife is Ukrainian. She has relatives in Ukraine with whom Mm, she keeps in touch all the time. And her information is totally different than yours. What does she say? She's saying that uh, the war in Ukraine is kept to a low level on the purpose, with the purpose of reducing civilian... uh, yeah, they, that's, that's, I, I, gotta go in a minute, but let me answer that. Yeah, they're not using, the Russians are not using nuclear weapons or biological weapons or chemical weapons. We they're hope gone. they don't. And in that sense, they're sparing civilian deaths. But within the realm of what's normal, what's called conventional warfare, they are hanging, it, letting it all hang out. Uh, they're dropping bombs from 30,000 feet uh, into residential communities and not giving a damn where it lands and how many people they kill. Uh, there's no restraint going on by the Russians. But thanks very much for your call. And please, uh, let's all pray for your family, your wife's family. Happy Easter. Happy Easter.